0: Thank you, Melissa. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Probably don't say that enough. Thank you for making the decision to get up and to, to come worship together. It matters. It matters for our own walk with the Lord. And I think sometimes I remind myself that on days where I may not feel like going, it's not just about me. It's about others. It's about maybe the Lord has me here to help build up, encourage somebody else. And it's just better Together. So thank you for coming. Thank you for making the choice to come. Um, and thank you to my family. I was gonna point them out at some point, at least once, for getting up very early and, and getting here this morning. My parents and my brother-in-laws are with us. So, what does it mean to endure? To endure means to suffer patiently. And when I think of endurance, my mind often will go to sports. When you're tired. When you're sore, you have to keep going. You keep going until the end of the game. Unless you're seriously injured, then stop. But you're tired, you're sore, you keep going, you endure. Maybe if you think of endurance, you don't think of sports, maybe you think about your job. From the moment you wake up in the morning, the alarm clock goes off, which sometimes is the worst part of the day, isn't it? <laughs> Just getting up. How many have punched it, thrown it, whatever. I roomed with my brother, Lons for a While as a kid, I know what he says when the alarm goes off. Often he says something like, You've got to be kidding me, just like <laughs> starting the day that way. Endurance. Or maybe you think of the, the time you want to nap during your job, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., or, or your coworkers or your boss, where you have to patiently suffer <laughs> in your job, the monotony of it at times. Maybe you think of your job, maybe you think of relationships, because we know that with any deep relationships, it's going to require loving endurance, suffering patiently with those that we care about. And that brings us to our passage today. We're going through the book of Ruth, and we're calling this series A Case Study of Love, because Ruth lived a life of love. She was an expert at selfless love. And our hope and our prayer as we go through Ruth is for us to be drawn to the same God of love that she knew. And so we get to our passage today at the end of chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, but let me give you a, a quick refresher here. At the beginning of the story, we have Naomi, the main character, and her husband, Elimelech. And they're living in Bethlehem, in the Promised Land, Israelites, part of the clan of the Ephrathites, And a famine hits... And so, they leave Bethlehem, and they move to Moab with their two sons. But when they get there, Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, and then 10 years later, both of her sons die without having any grandchildren. And she's left with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. None of the women wanted the situation they were in. We talked about the loss of love that they experienced, all of them, at that time. So the question is, how would they respond? And we talked last week about the opportunity to love. We see Naomi's love for her daughters-in-law as they push them to go back to Moab, to go back to their families. Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited his people in Bethlehem, and so she starts walking back to Bethlehem after at least 10 years of being away. Ruth and Orpah made the decision to follow her, which is extraordinary. Naomi must have been... Truly a gem of a person for them to want to stay with her rather than go back to their families in Moab. They choose to go with her, but Naomi, out of what, what appears to be just love for them, though they had this great relationship, though it's likely she viewed them as all she had left, she was willing to tell them to go back in order to give them a second chance, another chance for a bright future. Orpah understandably goes, weeping as she departs. But Ruth, it says, clung to Naomi. As Naomi was essentially saying, my life is over, go have a second chance, Ruth says to her, no, my life's over. I'm with you. And she gives this poetic, beautiful response that, as Miller Commentary says, has set 30 centuries trembling. She sealed her fate to love God and love Naomi for the rest of her days. She left Naomi speechless, and the two of them begin to make that walk back to Bethlehem together. And that leads us to verses 19 through 21, the end of chapter one, as they enter into Bethlehem. And here's the main idea for our passage today. Love requires endurance. Love requires endurance. So we're gonna talk first, in those first two verses, three verses of 19 to 21, Naomi's return home to Bethlehem. And then secondly, Ruth's arrival to her new home. And we're gonna talk about how endurance was part of this journey in verse 22. Love requires endurance. First, Naomi's return home. In verses 19 through 21, we see a reunion take place in Bethlehem. We see her begin to remember what life was like before she left, remembrance. And then there's this question of repentance, which we'll talk about. Was she repenting in returning home? So, first, the reunion in verse 19. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? So I want to stop. After it says they walk back to Bethlehem, it's easy to just keep going. And the walk was about seven to ten days. This was no easy hike, this was no brisk walk together. Part of the terrain would have been difficult. To, to walk through, apparently. Seven to ten days of walking back to Bethlehem. And I know what some of you may be thinking as I say that. If you were in Ruth's sandals and you made this beautiful commitment to Naomi, I'm with you to the, to the end. I'm going to stay in Bethlehem with the people of God and worship the true God. You know, I'm with you no matter what. And then you find out you're going ten days of walking. You might think, all right, well, I'm actually <laughs> throwing in the towel here. I'm not actually going to do that. It's a long walk. And I, I thought about the differences between then and now and how much walking people needed to do. Not just when they changed location, but on a daily basis. People were walking anywhere from seven to 10 miles was a typical day of, of, of living where you lived without transportation like we have today. And walking is, is, is healthy for us, not just physically, but I, th- I thought about the, the number of conversations people would have had and would have been really forced to have as you're walking with people walking and talking and I got a little bit jealous thinking about the disciples and thinking about the amount of conversations and time of just walking and talking with Jesus they walked back to Bethlehem now for Naomi it had been 10 years since she had been home and at the time they had no ability to keep in touch so this is a Relatively small city Bethlehem, one to 2,000 people. Most of them lived there the whole life. They knew each other, Naomi would have known a lot of people. Hasn't been there in 10 years, she gets back. They had no ability to keep in touch. They didn't have phones, they didn't have social media, they didn't have Facebook or any of the other lesser apps like Instagram or TikTok, which have less features, which I don't understand why you switch to those, but apparently I'm getting older and so that's, that's the thing. But they had no ability to keep in touch, even if they wanted to. So she gets back, and what happens? Well, the whole town, it says, is stirred. They were buzzing. The same language is used in 1 Kings chapter 1 to talk about Solomon's coronation. When he became king, the city, Jerusalem, it was stirring. People were excited. There was a celebration. Naomi's back. Think about what Naomi has gone through, and then think about the situation with the whole city excited and wanting to talk to her. <laughs> During a reunion, what do you usually talk about? You talk about how you've been since the last time you saw them. You talk about the past and what you've gone through together. You talk about those things. Do we think Naomi wants to talk about her past right now? No. She probably wants to disappear, but she can't. There's a wall around the city of Bethlehem. There's an entrance in the front, which is basically the, the, the social hub of the city where, 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 where buying economic activity took place and where, where court of law decisions happened, but also where just people gathered to hear updates. It's, it's, it's the... the the hub of of this whole city, and she has to go through it, and she can't avoid all the people coming up and saying, Naomi's back, and then wanting to talk to her. She wants to disappear, and yet she has to face the people that she knew. What does she do? Now, I wanted to take a second here to, to ask this question. What do we do when we're hurting and we can't avoid the conversations? What do we do to not disappear and refuse to get together with anybody or to still be part of the church community when we're hurting? Is there any, what what do we do about that? And I'm sure, maybe this can fuel some conversations later. I'm gonna give you one idea, one tip. When you don't wanna have to keep repeating the same conversation over and over again when it hurts to even bring it up, there's something called this, this idea of having something written out, something prepared where you don't have to keep saying it, where you don't have to keep updating. There's something called Caring Bridge, which I think a lot of you already know about, where you can post updates about what's happening in your life or a loved one, and when people out of, you know, probably just sincere, good, trying, caring about you, wanting to know how things are going, you can tell them, you know, check out the website, check out what I, what I wrote, I'd rather not talk about it right now, something like that. The whole town wants to talk to Naomi. They want to hear about how she's doing. But it wasn't the reunion that Naomi imagined when she left 10 years prior. She begins to remember. Look at verses 20 through 21. So she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Naomi's response, to the celebration is, understandably, pain. When we're hurting and people are celebrating, it can actually heighten the pain. There's a proverb, Proverbs 25, that says, whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Get the idea? Like ripping off someone's jacket in the middle of a winter day is celebrating when they're in pain. Naomi's name means pleasant or sweetness, and she's hearing her name again and again, the people that she's known for so long, and the irony of it is hitting her. She says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. There's nothing pleasant or sweet happening in my life right now. Why call me that when it seems as if God doesn't call me that anymore? Call me Mara which means bitter. We talked a little bit last week about lamenting. Lamenting, if I had to put it in one succinct sentence, would be a healthy raising of the fist toward God. Lamenting is a healthy raising of the fist toward God. The people of God throughout... You have not had a thought against God, that you can't, in one way or another, read about someone else having that thought and expressing it to the the Lord in Scripture. Healthy raising of the fist toward God. Wrestling with him is what the people of God do. It's what Israel means, to wrestle with the Lord. Now, there's something Naomi's doing that's potentially dangerous here. She's talking to people about God She's talking negatively about God to others. And the, the danger of doing that again and again and again is becoming bitter, which she's not skating around here and saying, call me bitterness. <laughs> she's wrestling with bitterness here. There's a world of difference between talking about God negatively to others and talking to God, no matter what, how negative it is. Lamenting. I want to give you some examples of laments, of healthy raising of the fist toward God that we read about in the Scripture. There's some some in Jeremiah, there's some in Lamentations and throughout some of the prophets, but I took some from the Psalms. It's a reminder of what (laughs) examples of what some of the people of God have said and a reminder that God can take this kind of thing. Psalm 79 says, How long, O Lord, will you be angry with me forever? Psalm 77 Has God forgotten to be gracious? Psalm 13, will you forget me forever? Psalm 43, why have you rejected me? Psalm 44, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Wake up, don't reject us forever, why do you hide your face? Psalm 109, be not silent, O God of my praise. And Psalm 71, Do not cast me off in the time of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent, O God. Be not far from me. These are examples of crying out to God. It's about the disconnect between what we know and believe God to be and the reality in which we are currently living in. It's the despair of what seems like a gap of what we believe and what life is at the time. This may be the lowest point of Naomi's life so far. And thinking about her past and getting home again may be only heightening her pain. But I want us to take a second and think about this question. Is returning to Bethlehem in the first place a step towards repentance, a step towards renewing her relationship with the Lord? And it is a question, it's not clear. I wanna point out that when Naomi left Bethlehem to go to Moab, she went with her husband and her two sons. It's very possible that she didn't make that decision And then when she got there, and her husband passed away, it's possible that the decision to stay there, to remain there, what started as a plan to just sojourn, to be there temporarily, the permanent stay, what seemed like a permanent stay, might not have been her decision. It might have been her son's decision, and so we don't know. Maybe she would have gone back if it was up to her, or maybe it was a joint decision. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is if this is repentance, it's subtle. The word return, returning to Bethlehem, is the same word used for repentance in Hebrew. But if this is a form of repentance, it's what Miller calls in his commentary a kind of gentle rain. She's not saying it. She's not speaking confession and apologizing to the Lord or any, for leaving the promised land when life got hard. But through her actions, she may be showing it in her return. It's not clear. And I want to point this out. It's often unclear why people are hurting. It's often unclear why circumstances happen the way they are that involve lots of suffering. And for us to right away think we know all the reasons why, if you just do this, if you just say this, if you just didn't do that, then, I think it's a check on us to remember there's all kinds of vagueness of why suffering happens and to go into that with your own circumstances or others with humility, with a lack of of judgment about that and to respond with care and to point people to the Lord as best we can. It's not clear. But if she is repenting, it's this subtle, it's this gentle rain, it's not a downpour. Have you ever wondered is somebody apologizing to me? <laughs> like, are you? You just did this nice thing after we had this fight or after this happened, and you haven't said that you're sorry, but you're doing this nice, or you said, you said this other nice thing about me, but it's, it, are you apologizing? It's like a subtle form of, of repentance. And I know some examples of this in my own life. Uh, there was one in college where someone who was a, a good friend of mine ended up being pretty unkind to me for a while. <laughs> and then I didn't see him after graduating for a year or two. And then I saw him. And the Lord had done a lot in my heart since then. Because <laughs> I was pretty mad at the time. But when, he, when, when I saw him and we were talking, he, he was asking me questions about my life. He was being kind in a way. And though he didn't apologize to me, I knew what he was doing. It was a gentle rain. <laughs> it was a subtle form. Of apologizing. And I want to say this about that. Maybe we shouldn't expect the perfect apology from people, a perfect kind of repentance, but instead to endure, to care for them regardless. And for our own lives, to think about the fact okay, it's difficult to to fully apologize about something and to really own my part in it and to simply say, I'm going to try, not to skate around apologizing, but just give it all. <laughs> and I thought about our own, our own confession, repentance to the Lord and the fact of, is there such a thing even as perfect repentance to God? Have we ever sincerely apologized to the Lord for our sins, for our mistakes? that put him on the cross in the way that actually meets the weight, the gravity of what we've done. And I'm not sure we ever have. And I'm grateful that God, in his mercy, accepts our sincere apology, even if it's not a perfect one, even if it doesn't match the gravity of what we've actually done and what we actually deserve. The mercy of God. Was this a subtle form of repentance from Naomi? as she heard the Lord had visited his people, and she walks back into Bethlehem, her home. Love requires endurance. We see Naomi's return home. Next, Ruth's arrival to her new home in verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. I want to talk about her citizenship, and then this conclusion of chapter 1 with hope. Because we see in verse 22, twice it mentions Moab. Ruth the Moabite, from the country of Moab. It seems the author is trying to put on our minds the reminder, this is not where Ruth lives. She's a foreigner. And citizenship at the time, let me read you a quote from a Loving Life commentary. The ancient world had no mechanism for religious conversion or change of citizenship. The very notion was unthinkable. Religion and peoplehood defined one's ethnic identity, and this could no more be changed than the color of one's skin. And so, Ruth was not expecting any kind of privileges, any kind of opportunities to get ahead in her new home. And on top of that, she's a Moabite who at the time were not even allowed, Deuteronomy 23, to assemble with the Israelites because of the way they treated them in the wilderness wanderings on the way to the the promised land. And so, if anything, she's expecting mistreatment. She's a vulnerable member of a disliked people group going into a place that she's never been before. She has no safety net. She has no protection. Can you imagine the kinds of thoughts Ruth is having as she enters into Bethlehem? We can't put ourselves in Ruth's sandals. We can't know her thoughts as she's arriving. But to to think that she was potentially overwhelmed makes sense. And to think after hearing Naomi, her mother-in-law, that she just committed her life to, just said, I left here 10 years ago full and I've come back with nothing, empty, could have caused Ruth to feel even more alone in that moment. Naomi didn't return empty, not completely empty. She had Ruth there, right there, standing next to her. And yet it seems there's no judgment poured out against Naomi here. Ruth doesn't stop her and say, "But you didn't know me ten years ago. It seems that Ruth and the Lord quietly allow Naomi space to lament. Ruth is enduring in love. From the 7-day to 10-day walk back to now enduring, as Naomi laments, thinking about her own troubles and sorrow, she's showing us her true colors. It's the endurance in the pain and the struggles of life that show us who somebody really is and that provide the opportunity to grow for us. Show me somebody when they're when they're hurting, when life's not going the way they want it to. Show me somebody who's not winning but losing and how they're taking it, and we'll see the kind of person that they are or that they're growing, that the Lord is making them to be. And when I say that out loud, I'm reminded how much I hate losing and how much growth is needed in the life of Tories. <laughs> but what is winning in this life? In reality, what is actually winning in life? And I'm sure we could have a good conversation about that as well, but here's what I'd like to propose to you. Winning is the nitty-gritty daily decisions to endure in love with those around us. I'm going to say that again. Amen. Winning is the nitty-gritty daily decisions to endure in love with those around us. It's not the job, it's not the dream, apart from that. A loving relationship with God and those that God has permitted into our lives, enduring in that, that's what life is about. We're beginning to see the true colors of Ruth. She's enduring in love. The chapter concludes with hope in verse 22. It was the beginning of barley harvest. Was that an accident? Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. It's the beginning of a new season. God had brought them in to Bethlehem at that time, a time of well-being and celebration, a turning of the chapter. As the story began with famine and departure at the beginning of chapter 1, it's concluding in chapter 1 with return and with harvest. And if Naomi did make the decision, as we see that she did, to return to Bethlehem when she heard that the Lord had visited his people, even though in her mind the Lord was against her, the Lord has attacked her. The lord She knows that the Lord is in complete control, and yet for some reason he's allowed this suffering to happen in her life. Her faith is alive, though her hopes have been shattered to pieces, but she returns one step at a time to Bethlehem, to the promised land. And that was the right decision, because no matter how dark, no matter how hopeless life can seem, It is the right choice to turn to the Lord and to endure because there's hope. Both now, as we see signs of that, beginning of barley harvest for her, the Lord had visited his people, signs of God being active and alive in her life. At the time, God is alive and active right now in our lives. There is hope now. If I hadn't believed the Lord would pour out his goodness in the land of the living, I would have lost hope. There's hope now. There's hope for the future. As Naomi was catching herself thinking about the past and how that caused her pain and grief, comparing life then to life now, when we find ourselves doing that, of looking at the past, remembering the past, and finding ourselves upset because of the... the the losses or the differences of how life is not as good now as it used to be, here's what I want us to think about. I want us to think about what life will be. When you get caught up thinking about the past, what life was, and it makes life now upset, don't forget about the life to come. Jesus is making all things new. Without him, without Christ, a loss may be a permanent loss, whatever it is. That thing, that relationship that sees that time of life that was better because you had something that you don't have now, without Jesus, that may be gone forever. Without him, dead is dead. There is no hope for the future, but with him. as C.S. Lewis said, "There are far far better things ahead than any we leave behind. I'm going to say that again, too. There are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. So endure. So suffer patiently with the hope that God is alive and active now, and in the future, you better believe, he's making all things new. If Naomi had an idea of what God was doing in her life, if she knew that through her struggle and her family suffering, that God was gonna bring the Messiah through her family line, if she knew that, how might that have changed the way that she viewed her life? She didn't know. God wasn't gonna give her all the answers. He doesn't do that for us. He doesn't show us exactly all the ways he's working 10 years, 100 million years from now because of the lives we're living now and the patient suffering he calls us to endure now. He wants to grow our faith. He wants to grow our trust in him, to know it's not wasted, and so endure. And the reason we have any opportunity to endure is because we have a God who endures. We have a God who lovingly endured the faithlessness, and the failures of his people all throughout redemptive history. We have a God who came to this world, who, became, who put on the weaknesses, the frailties, who put on a skin suit, not a Black Panther suit, who felt all the things that we do, who endured all the temptations that the devil could throw at him, who endured even the cross, where far beyond physical suffering, he conquered sin and death, the giant that no stone could ever slay. And he did that to set the captives free. He did that to declare his people innocent, though we are guilty. And he did that to welcome us into the family of God, a family in which we will never be cast out of. He endures. And through His power and strength, we, in a much smaller way, because He overcame the world, we can endure now as He's changing and growing us more into the likeness of His Son. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, how many times do we want to throw in the towel? How many times do we want to quit? How many times does it become just grueling and we no longer want to endure? We no longer want to live a life according to your design, a life with such a high calling because of the high, high love that you have for us. And Lord, may we admit again that without your strength, without your power, without your presence in our lives, and not just on our own, but together, we would fail. We would not endure until the end. We would not get to see the all things that you're making new, the world to come, the adventure ahead. But Jesus, we're not alone. And we can endure through you. And so, Lord, would you build our faith? Would you build our confidence? Not in ourselves, but in your name. Thank you for enduring. Thank you for your commitment. Ruth said to Naomi, may nothing separate me from you. Nothing until death. But Lord, you're the only one that can say, not even death, not even death can separate us from you. What a hope. Now and in the life to come. Amen. Amen.